This is Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families with your host, Wayne Franz. Brought to you by Family Care Center, offering behavioral health services for both children and adults and specializing in services for military families and veterans. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. Now, here's Dwayne France. Hello and welcome to Inside the Military Mind. My name is Dwayne France and each week we'll be talking about mental health and wellness for the military affiliated population. Coming up in today's guest segment, I'll be having a conversation with Matt Albright, the director for the Center for American Values. After that, I'll be sharing the Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership. On this week's Insight segment of the show, I'll be talking about the myth of invincibility that many people might believe about service members and even what some service members might believe about themselves. There's no such thing as an impenetrable tower or an invincible army. Time and toil will wear all things down. That's why the military is a young person's game. As we get older, we understand the lie of invincibility. Our heart tells us, our knees tell us, and sometimes our mind tells us. In the military, we are told from the beginning that winning is everything, invincibility is the goal, and that the goal is achievable. Be strong. Show no weakness. The recruiting posters don't lie. Everyone is a steely-eyed killer defending truth, justice, and the American way. The problem with believing in the myth of invincibility comes when we start to realize that we're not invincible ourselves, but think that others are. That we think that because someone else has more than us, that they somehow have it all together, they have all the answers, that they're the winner and I'm the loser. We fall into the trap of the comparison game. We start to let our belief in legends get in our way. Sometimes we hold others responsible for not meeting our unrealistic expectations of them. There's nothing that makes us angrier than realizing that our perceptions of someone did not meet their reality. Pete Rose bet on baseball while a manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Tainted heroes fallen from grace simply because they did not meet our unrealistic expectations. Did they ask us to, though? Sometimes, maybe they did. Sometimes we present one thing to the world while knowing inside that we're actually something completely different. Often, though, we blame others for falling short of our expectations of them. I'm disappointed in you reveals more about our own beliefs about the person than their own actions. We hold ourselves responsible for not meeting up to our unrealistic expectations of others. The other side of this particular coin is that we compare ourselves to others and find ourselves lacking in some way. Keeping up with the Joneses when we have no clue what's happening behind closed doors. We blame ourselves for not living up to some fantastical ideal, some unachievable invincibility that was built in our mind. We go on Facebook and Instagram, we see everybody is meeting with the coolest people at the best places, eating the most delicious and beautiful food. Life online is contrived. We show each other our highlight rules while living our backstage lives. Even what you're hearing right now isn't reality. If you and I were talking about this in person, these words wouldn't be the ones that I use. Having a conversation is very different than recording a radio show. The vast majority of other people that we put on a pedestal didn't ask to be put there. They wouldn't want to be there if we told them that that was the case. They would explain all of the reasons why they shouldn't be on that pedestal. They're just a regular guy or gal. And it's not selling ourselves short, it's revealing the accuracy of the situation. Superman bleeds, Batman loses his grip every once in a while, and the Lone Ranger wasn't all that alone. He couldn't get things done by himself. We're humans, and we do human things like breathe and stumble and screw up and feel bad about it. Sometimes service members and veterans feel drawn into a negative opinion of themselves when they compare themselves to the lives of others, when we really need to remember that all we're trying to do is just figure out this thing called life. We may put on a good show for others, but it's a game of escalating illusion. 
Instead, revealing our flaws and acknowledging that we're not 100% all the time, I work with the local veterans court here in El Paso County. And it's previously been one of the four courts in the nation to mentor other courts, to be an example to other courts. Other groups from around the country come to our court to see how we do things. Judge David Shakes, our leader, commits to showing everything we do, the good and the bad. He consistently reminds us to be completely transparent, warts and all. If we're perpetuating a myth of infallibility, then we're lying to ourselves and we're doing no good to others. Instead of delivering the beautiful lie, we should deliver the ugly truth and let things be the way they are. We could always do with more reality in the world. So glad to be able to share some of these insights. Agree? Disagree? It'd be great to hear your thoughts. Share them with us by dropping an email to militarymind at fccsprings.com. On today's interview segment, I'll be having a conversation with Matt Albright, who proudly serves as the director for the Center of American Values, a nonpartisan 501c3 nonprofit based in Pueblo, Colorado. The center was founded by Congressional Medal of Honor recipient Drew Dix with the mission of recognizing the service and sacrifice while inspiring the future generation to do the same. Matt is deeply passionate about inspiring youth, advocating for veterans, and ensuring that selfless service and sacrifice are recognized across the nation. Since joining the center in 2015, Matt has had the privilege of speaking in front of tens of thousands of students, veterans, and civic leaders across the nation. Let's get into my conversation with Matt and come back afterwards to hear about this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week. So as a director for the Center of American Values, one of your main goals is to honor and educate the public about those who received our nation's highest honor for valor, the Congressional Medal of Honor. Why do you think it's important for us to honor their sacrifice and continue to educate the community about what they did? Well, I think working with the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients is, is a very unique thing because... 43 million men and women have served our nation since the Civil War, yet there have only been 3,508 Congressional Medal of Honor recipients. Now, this in no way do we ever say, oh, there's 3,508 heroes and the rest of people just kind of showed up. And that's the true lesson of the meaning of the medal I've learned in this position is that it represents the servant sacrifice of all who served, especially the men and women that didn't get to come home. Currently, there are only 68 living Medal of Honor recipients, and it's extremely humbling to get to know these gentlemen, not simply because of the action that they did to receive the medal, but how they've lived their lives since they received that medal. So the true lesson I've learned is, I mean, I'm always in awe to meet and work with a recipient, but all recipients are different. Like any group of veterans or any group of active duty, you got some guys that are funny, some guys are very serious, some guys that are outspoken, some guys that are quiet, and everything in between. But when it comes to the medal of the almost 60 recipients that I've had the honor of working with, it always comes down to one message. I was doing my job, and I wear this for the others. Uh, I've heard it said that, you know, earning the medal is easier than wearing it. There's a tremendous burden that goes with that because they are representatives of all who served. And most of them do an amazing job of, of showing that and reiterating that, again, this is not a hierarchy. It's not a, we're the champions, uh, we, we, you know, Super Bowl trophy. This is something that's worn extremely uh, humble. 
and, and with the weight. You know, I, I recognize that. And obviously, you've interacted with many more recipients than I have. But um, in my interactions with, with the number that, that I have, and, and obviously seeing more of that, uh, that that's what I was going to say is that is the message of humility, right? That this is not about me. Um, you know, a lot of them say that the best of us didn't make it back. Um, but this is the way of the ones who, if anyone's rightly designated a hero, they are, but they don't necessarily see themselves as that. Oh, I've never met one that was like, hey, Matt, let me tell you what a BA I am. Uh, exact opposite. Rarely do you hear the stories of the action of, of the of the actual battle or, or whatever to receive the medal. Now, many of these interactions have come through events where they do or the 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 action is is spoken of but you know the truth is this is something that isn't just for the recipients i mean we look at any combat veteran or or silver star bronze star uh, service cross or anybody wearing a combat patch we know they all carry a very heavy burden of what they do and time and time again working with the recipients it's pointed out that you know this is for the others but also it's not well that guy got a bronze star so he's third place nothing like that and i say that i know this is a, a military kind of veterans focused show but to the civilians that may be listening i i really always try and make it clear and sometimes there's this misconception that a medal of honor's top and then everybody else kind of falls in line and that's not the purpose the point of the medal it's not the recipient themselves the message of the medal is extreme sacrifice selfless service and what we do at the center is talk about these examples of extreme selfless sacrifice but also say you don't have to wear a uniform and in enlist or, or or become an officer to be selfless in your actions and to contribute to your community and to do something to better your community and better this nation. Now, we see these examples of, of very intense and, and obvious examples of that, but the message of the medal isn't to, to run into a hail of gunfire. The message of the medal is, look, I was willing to put it all on the line for those my brothers and sisters around me. And we can do that in small ways in our own communities, whether you wear a uniform or not. It's almost as if the medal or the honor is incidental to the action, right? It's not that somebody thinks to themselves, I'm about to jump up and go into this hail of gunfighter, gunfire in order to earn the Medal of Honor, right? That's, that's not what I've understood from the recipients. And so really the, the honor of being a recipient is just an outcome of that sacrifice you're talking about. I, I believe so. And I, I'm no expert. I don't claim to be an expert on this. But this is going from just those interactions and, and getting to know some of these guys. And some of the folks we both know, some of the same recipients, someone like Flo Groberg, from, uh, who was you know, deployed out of Carson 4th ID. You know, he is a great example of reluctantly receiving that medal and saying, wait, no, no, no. Uh, this isn't for me and i think there's a lot of that with most recipients that i've had the honor of meeting it's they they reluctantly receive that medal and so why do you think it's necessary to and you were talking about um using their stories and their example to be able to educate others in the community why, why do you think that's necessary to sort of carry that message out 
Well, I think for one, from this region, if we're talking locally where we sit today, from Colorado Springs down to Pueblo, you have the Pueblo Four, and you know we have three uh, recipients from Fort Carson from the War on Terror. One, it's a good reminder of like, this is closer to home than we think. And this very small percentage of service members to receive the medal that our communities through Southern Colorado are, are directly connected to this. Well, going back to William Jackson Palmer here in Colorado Springs. But at the same time, these are document they're, they're well documented there it's it's there's a lore around it there's a there's a knowledge of what this represents it's one of the few things i think in the military world that transcend branch that transcend rank i mean there's privates that were 18 years old first day hitting the beach our first you know first day in europe that jumped on a grenade or did something that would be oh my gosh you know how could we even fathom that to receive the medal and then there are higher ranking folks so and it's everything in between i point out when we're working with youth it's like like, you know, do you have to be a general to receive the Medal of Honor? No. There's probably less, more privates receive the Medal of Honor than any general ever has. But it's the message. And like I've said, not to be redundant, but the message is that, look, this is an example of someone that went through and had to do something that most of us and almost all of us would never wish upon anybody. They've seen hell. They've walked through hell. And they're not wearing that as some, like, badge of honor. They're wearing that for the folks that didn't come home. The day, the worst day of their life, that medal, that silver star, that bronze star, that combat patch, that's representing the worst day of someone's life a lot of the time. They don't walk around wearing that going, hey, look. They're walking around wearing that going, hey, this is it. So it's never forgotten. And with those Medal of Honor recipients, it's well documented it is such a rare honor that it gives a platform to say hey look yes here's one example or several examples but don't forget everyone else and and i think that idea of uh, especially for the living recipients um that uh, you mentioned this burden um you know it was a nietzsche quote of that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger again nietzsche's not saying go out and do things that that may be dangerous uh, to be able to get stronger he was describing what came out of some of this stuff um and this this idea of in in many cases literally being tested by fire yeah I, that's a great example you know of saying that nobody's saying run into a hell of gunfire and i've heard this said and it's sometimes taken a little bit uh incorrectly i've heard recipients say we hope that no one else receives the medal of honor and i've heard well what does that mean well that doesn't mean they're like we want to be the only ones they're saying if a medal of honor worthy action happens something terrible has 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 happened something's gone extremely wrong in most cases so the hope isn't that hey we want to be the only ones on the flip side it's saying we hope that no one else has to go through this no one has has to be uh, the survivor of these things and pointing out we talk about living recipients the majority of individuals who have received the medal of honor don't survive their action they've Mm -hmm. received it you know they receive it posthumously so uh it's it's an eye-opener and it's something to say yeah whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger well sadly a lot of this did and something we always want to remind people is you don't receive the medal of honor for having the highest kill count you know like the person that that took out the most enemy isn't the usually a recipient now sadly these guys were doing what they had to do it was war they they had to take lives but most of them talking about it even 
years and years later, if we're talking about a World War II recipient, there's something that hangs on them with that. There's something that they, they say, war is hell. I, we would wish war on nobody. When we talk about the medal, it's not to glorify war, or glorify valor, glorify, you know, these this battle. But you receive the medal essentially for saving lives, mm-hmm. for running out, doing things to save others' lives. And like I said, we can talk about these amazing stories. I, you, myself, many that I haven't met, any time you actually hear a recipient's story or read the citation, it's it's not one if I ever read like, eh, it's not that impressive. It's things that you wouldn't wish on, on, on anyone. And to sit back and say, okay, that's one example. Now, how can you be a little selfless in your own life? To the kids, how can you be a better older brother? You know, Drew Dix, the co-founder of the center, Vietnam uh, Medal of Honor recipient, uh, he has a great saying that, that I often say. It's the, if you bet, it all starts with us. You better yourself, that'll better your family. You better your family, it better your neighborhood, you better your neighborhood, you better your community, you better your community, you better Colorado, or wherever you may be. It's a ripple effect. And it does, you know, it's not run out there and do this. You got to focus on yourself first. And most of these guys, like you said, Dwayne, nobody was sitting like, now I'm going to go battle starting. Better go. Now I'm going to go get my Medal of Honor. No, that was not the intention at all. It was my brother's wounded. He's out there. We're under attack. If I don't do something, we're all going to, none of us are making it home. And, uh, And they just react. And what makes a person do that? Who knows? What makes a firefighter run into a building, burning building? What makes uh, all of us function and, and do the right thing at that time? We don't know. I've heard many say, you know, most of us are in just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think that in, in emphasizing that, that it is not an individual achievement necessarily. I mean, yes, it is an individual achievement, but it's because others were involved. There were others there. Um, I, and I think up and until recently, as some of the, the recent recipients that have been awarded um, for the Global War on Terror, all of the medals came out of four distinct locations, Baghdad and, and Ramadi in Iraq, and then uh, Regional Command East in the Anbar province, or excuse me, in um, uh, Helmand province in Afghanistan. Um, that's because in both of those theaters of war, that's where the most, some of the most difficult action was happening, right? Mm-hmm. That was where the, you don't get Medal of Honor, uh, awarded the Medal of Honor just for nothing happening. Um, and so these were, they were there in the height of the battle um, in, in, in surrounded by um, others who are doing exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. One thing that uh, on every Medal of Honor citation starts with, a conspicuous gallantry above and beyond the call of duty. So that really is the thing. Sometimes people say, well, it makes this different than uh, Distinguished Service Cross or Bronze Star, Silver Star. It, there is a very tight criteria to eyewitnesses. And really that above and beyond the call of duty kind of makes, uh, separates it. So if um, your, your leader commands you to stay back behind and hold them off, well, that's you've been commanded to do that. That was something that, that was told versus the volunteerism of the medal. And there's many times, you know, I've read uh, numerous Distinguished Service Cross citations, Silver Star citations. You say, well, I don't, what's the difference there? I don't know. That's not for me to decide. And that's not for anybody to decide. But one of my favorite examples of this was uh, gentleman Melvin Morris, African-American Special Forces, Vietnam. And he had to Distinguished Service Cross for many, many years and was just upgraded uh, 
several years back and we had him down at the center and he was doing a presentation and someone asked him kind of hey do you feel slighted that took so long to get your medal and he still has this distinguished service cross. he said this means the exact same thing and that's i think a lot of people in the 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 audience that day went whoa it's it's the same thing same action my action didn't change Mm -hmm. nothing changed this represents the same exact thing i wear this now with as much pride as i wore my distinguished service cross all those years because all the politics and stuff they're trying to bring me said none of that matters i wear this for exact same reason the guys that didn't make it home and so i think that is a great example personally that i was there to experience of saying that you know this all represents service and sacrifice and and you mentioned the the burden right the the weight of the medal um, medal of honor recipients are held in high esteem for very good reason um, by those of us of course who served in the military because we do see them um, as as very uh, honorable actions and those who may not have served in the military because like you said everybody knows what the medal of honor they might not know exactly what it is but they know of it how have you seen uh, for example that that conversation you, you just had w- about Melvin how have you seen the stories of the recipients impact of lives who maybe visit the center or, or maybe go through some of the programs that you've that you've provided I've seen numerous example I mean it it's it's humbling every day so at the center in Pueblo our facility is home to the portraits of valor it's 160 portraits of the Medal of Honor recipients 1999 to today uh, pretty unique. It's down there in Pueblo on the Riverwalk, and it's the only place outside the Pentagon that houses this collection. And I've been there six years. It is difficult for me to have a bad day and walk into that gallery knowing the stories of uh, the 160 men that surround you and go, well, it's a bad day. You know, and you're looking at guys that jumped on grenades, that lost entire half their squad, or whatever it may be, and, and go, hey, this is difficult. Now, that's just kind of a, a superficial service, uh, surface thing. Now, when we talk about recipients talking to folks, my favorite thing is even if a recipient's not there, we've been on some programs in Indianapolis, for instance. We were, you know, we went out there, brought our programs out there for uh, high schools in Indianapolis. And the funder for that program, we are a 501c3 nonprofit, so it all comes from grants and, and, and donations. And in this particular case, a corporation brought us out there and they said, hey, no softballs. You know, we want you to work with the kids in need. No going to the suburbs, no going to the, to the private schools. We want you to work in the inner city. And we ended up working with, uh, you know, nearly 2,000 kids from all 100% free and reduced lunch Title I schools. Now, the reason that's not a bragging point, but these were difficult schools. And we walk in and we're trying to talk to kids. And these are what you see on the the movies. And some of the folks listening probably grew up in, and I went to a couple, where, you know, this lack of respect or thrown out there, like, oh, be careful, this next class is difficult. But I've seen amazing examples in those environments where when you start talking about this, the bad kids perk up. Because we're not talking about this guy versus that guy and we're telling you what to do. We're telling stories of folks. And some of these guys, before they joined, they went through the same situation. Every Medal of Honor recipient, once again, they didn't go through West Point and our generals and all this. I mean, a lot of them came from difficult situations themselves. So we don't sugarcoat it. We don't glorify the action. But when we're doing lessons, working with recipients, I like to talk a lot about life. Not just the action in your military life, but 
how how are you pop pop now how can you go through the, what you did in vietnam and then now i saw you with your grandkids and you're you're pop pop and you're laughing and you're doing this stuff at the same time hey you grew up in a group home and all of this stuff how did you become a major general type of thing and everything in between so those interactions i think really equalize because these stories are real we're not sitting only cherry picking these folks and say okay they had this perfect life they went over they were this hero came back unscathed had no depression no no mental health issues all this stuff and they went on no everything in between these are folks that are severely scarred uh dealing with pts a lot of the times difficult childhoods but how have they weathered that storm to become successful adults and when you engage youth with this it really you see the light bulb go on and they go hey whoa not now you have to join to do this but it they're relatable stories to everyone because they're average people that did extraordinary things and i think that's the kind of underlying point is the day before they were traveling through the jungles of vietnam they were you know in the province they were sitting there in baghdad and then the next day they were told to go on patrol and hell broke loose and most of them, if they weren't wounded, they were doing the same thing the following day after the after the battle. And a few months later, a few years later at times, someone called and said, hey, the president wants to talk to you, the general wants to talk to you, you have to go to Washington, D.C. And they're scared. They don't know why. They think they're in trouble. And they're told they're to receive the Medal of Honor. And, like, I don't deserve that. So engaging in that. And there's good, there's great funny stories, too. That's the other humanizing thing. One of my favorites is uh, Hiroshi Maimura, Korean War veteran. Um, if you watch the Netflix series, uh, uh, Medal of Honor, him and Hershey and Joe, good friend of his, Joe Anello, uh, former command sergeant major, great guy, passed away a couple years ago. But they tell their unlikely friendship of being a Japanese-American and an Italian guy from Philly and how they went to Korea. All heck breaks loose. Hershey gets captured, 26 months at a POW camp, uh, terrible conditions, all of this different stuff. And you talk to Hershey, and one of the first things he says uh, <laughs> He always wants to get a little levity in his thing. And, you know, Hershey was married about 70 years before his wife passed away. And someone once said, you know, Hersh, what's the secret 70 years? He said, the secret's easy. Candlelight dinners and dancing. She goes Tuesday, I go Thursday. <laughs> you know, and stuff like that, just that humanizing thing. And then, um, that's not really a, a direct impact. But you see guys joking, living their lives going on with their lives and the amazing program that, that we did recently on the uh you know medal of honor recipient forum on active duty veteran suicide those two gentlemen alan lynch and float groberg were talking about their own personal wounds and their own having to reach out for help and it's that's the impact is these guys have a platform whether it's something they want or not many times like i said it is reluctantly but seeing that and seeing people identify with that and say okay this guy's picture's on the wall there's a statue of him in in pueblo or santa fe if it's leeward pt or wherever they may be i've heard his name when i was coming up in the ranks and when they come and you hear their honest story of their life it's hard not to be impacted um whether kids or, or veterans or or everything in between and that realization that someone would do that 
whatever and, it may be. And, and even that idea, again, of humility, you know, one of the stories we have here in Colorado Springs, and people may not be familiar with, but uh, a master on Crawford, right? You know, he mm-hmm. was a janitor at the Air Force Academy sure. after he had been awarded uh, the, the Medal of Honor. Um, and the cadets at the Air Force Academy just, I think, one day happened to realize that he was a Medal of Honor recipient. Yeah, that's one of my favorite stories um, because he does uh, share a story. Bill Crawford grew up in Pueblo right down the road and obviously uh, was here in Colorado Springs. He was 18, 19 years old, fighting the Nazis in Italy. They're they're pinned down by three heavy Nazi machine gun positions. This young kid with his rifle and a couple grenades said, you know, if I don't do something, we're all gonna die. He's looking around, sees a dry creek bed and he sneaks up the side, surprises that first Nazi machine gun position, takes it out. The Nazis quickly realize when that machine gun goes silent, they turn their fire, you know, do, 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 you know, they're giving him everything they got. Private Crawford, private, mind you, he runs directly at that second machine gun position. Miraculously, he's not hit, takes it out, jumps up, runs directly at the third. About 50 yards away, this group of Nazis, they get up and they run. Can you imagine that? Uh, 18-year-old with a rifle and two grenades running down and a whole group of Nazis with heavy machine guns, they turn around and run. This guy's a ghost. Um, Bill hops in that position, turns the machine gun around, and does what a soldier in World War II had to do. While he's up on the ridge, he finds a lieutenant that was severely wounded in the first wave. He's desperately trying to save his life. He's captured. uh, Bill's captured and taken to a a POW camp. While he's in a POW camp, the citation's written, but everybody thought he died. They saw this guy running at, you know, Bill Crawford saved our life, but he's running down Nazi machine gun positions, and we never saw him again. So his family here in Colorado receives the medal. Bill gets out of the camp, and he goes on and does a full career. He retires a master sergeant and then moves north of town and gets the job, as you said, at the Air Force Academy. And for about 15 years, Bill Crawford, Master Sergeant Crawford, was cleaning the dorms, scrubbing urinals, mopping up cadets that went out and had a little too much fun vomit, you know, emptying trash cans for 15 years. And this janitor, no one knew he was a Medal of Honor recipient. I had the honor of meeting the now retired colonel that was the cadet that found this out. And he's doing a report and sees William J. Crawford, Pueblo, Colorado, and says, no, that can't be Mr. Bill. That really? And so uh, he went and asked him. Uh, and he walks up. He said, Bill was mopping. And he walked up and said, Mr. Mr. Bill, can I ask you a question? And Bill said, sure, son, what is it? Continued mopping. He said, are you the Medal of Honor recipient from World War II? Bill Crawford got very quiet and said, son, that was one day a long time ago, and continued mopping the floor. Well, that cadet found out the story we I just told you, the, the extended version of running down Nazi machine gun positions. And they also find out the part that his family received the medal and he never officially received it from president. So at the 1984 Air Force commencement, those cadets gather around, they bring Bill Crawford on the stage, and Ronald Reagan will present him his medal 40 years after his action. Now, the significance of that story is, oh, it's neat, but what does that tell you about the janitor? Right. And any old veteran puttering around with I served in Korea, Vietnam, you don't know what people have done. So... That is the best example I can think of in any walk of life of treat people how they treat you, not the job they do, not what they, you know, it just, I mean, a Medal of Honor recipient mopping the floors 15 years, no one, that's eh, Mr. Bill. So it's a prime example and also brings together our two communities. Um, another one of the Pueblo is, is Raymond Gerald Murphy, 
Jerry Murphy. Um, he was Pueblo's third recipient. Famously, when President Eisenhower put the medal around his neck, he said, what is it, something in the water down there in Pueblo, all you guys somehow turn out to be heroes. But Jerry, I don't talk about a citation, not, not that it's not spectacular, but I was doing a program with some youth in Albuquerque, and an older gal came up to me and said, you know, Matt, I knew Jerry, because if you go to Albuquerque, their VA hospital is called the Raymond Gerald Murphy VA Hospital. Huge statue of Jerry carrying a guy on his shoulder. Um, and she said, you know my favorite story of Jerry, Matt? I said, no, what is it, Linda? She said, his funeral. And I thought, oh, his funeral, that's... She goes, no, oh, I forget you're not from here. She goes, you know, long before that VA hospital was named for Jerry, he was a volunteer there. And he would go there and help the other veterans tell, you know, positive stories and, and really help him along. And no one knew he was Medal of Honor. And at his funeral, he did not request to be buried with his Marine uniform and the Medal of Honor around his neck. He asked to be buried with the volunteer vest that he wore as a, helping the other veterans. So those are two great examples of just lifetime of service. And we're just talking about two guys that from our region. So there's many stories that go with that. But you know, I think those are the parts of the stories and those add-ons or those the life after that really make the impact to me and I see make the impact. And we can talk about the citations and, and what, have, what makes a guy run out and hail a gunfire or jump on a grenade. I don't know. I, I don't know. And I don't know everybody, well, I'd do that. Well, maybe. Maybe you would, maybe you would. I don't know. But the fact is how they went on with their life after going through that, to me, is the most impactful part of these recipient stories. Absolutely. Extremely, extremely inspirational. You're listening to Inside the Military Mind with me, your host, Dwayne France. Today I'm having a conversation with Matt Albright, director of the Center for American Values, a nonprofit organization that highlights the important legacy of recipients of the Congressional Medal of Honor. Now, you've talked a little bit about some of your programs, but uh, the, the Portraits of Valor, working with, uh, with youth in the high school. So what are some of the programs that you have out of the Center for American Values? Well, we really define what we do um, in three fo- uh, areas of focus would be the easiest way to do it because it is you know kind of a few different directions. But first would be community inspiration and impact. That would be the Medal of Honor Gallery down in Pueblo um, that obviously serves as a beacon. So those folks here throughout Colorado, please know that this unique space, check it out, not just to, to come visit, which you're always welcome to, but I think it could be an amazing space for folks uh, up at Carson and, and throughout Colorado and throughout the region, if you're listening further away. It is a very unique and uniquely inspirational space. But beyond just that, you know, over 50% of what we do happens outside those walls. So we help with the Pueblo uh, Memorial Day, Veterans Day events. We host a 9-11 event. One thing we have is a piece, uh, the World Traders World Trade Center Steel Memorial, where first responders, New York City Fire Department donated that to us, and we put it out there. Um, so we do a lot of different programs about first responders and military. But that inspiring space, having recipients come talk, heroes of all walks of life, you know, the first female pilot, the first woman of the Secret Service, they also have uh, Holocaust survivors who come and spoke. So we really want to capture these uniquely American stories of service and sacrifice. Again, not as a huge uh, 
you know, oh, nationalistic type of view, but a patriotic point of view. In a time where patriotism has kind of come under fire, we don't stand there with the political side of that, but we like to remind people like it starts here. You know, who's proud to be in Colorado? I'm, I am. It's probably you know, a group of military proud, moved a lot after that. You know, I've been to a lot worse places. Colorado's pretty neat. And being proud of your neighborhood, proud of your surroundings is patriotic. You know, it stems from that. It stems from starting here. Not the it's that, it's them, it's this, it's that. Like, we got to get out of that and realize, no, this is, we're in it right now. Um, the other focus area would be education, character and leadership development for youth and adults. So we work with about 7,500 to 10,000 youth a year, obviously not only in Pueblo. We go through Colorado Springs, to Denver, and throughout the Mountain West, Albuquerque I kind of alluded to, uh, you know, all the way through Indianapolis, but generally mostly the Mountain West because we're a smaller nonprofit. So we'll go wherever and bring a program if there's an opportunity. But equally we work with about that same amount of uh, different groups from Colorado agricultural leadership. We also have you know, the chaplains at Fort Carson and everything in between. I have said it a couple times, but it serves as a very unique space for character and leadership development. And when we actually do a portion of that, a lot of times a group will have their own kind of set agenda, but we're asked to do some, we really do that from that selfless sacrifice servant leadership type of thing. Again, not everybody was a general, but what is leadership and when when times get tough? It's it's about doing what's right in your heart, and we kind of teach from that aspect. So, again, community inspiration, character and leadership development for youth and adults. And the third area uh, would be uh, first responder and veteran support. We're not a traditional uh, veteran support organization. If you walk in, it's the gallery. It's a beautiful facility with Medal of Honor uh, the portraits and different uh, historic uh, items associated with the metal. So it's not cubicles, it's not counseling centers, but like we did with your uh, amazing support, we realized that this connection to the Medal of Honor recipients really give us a unique platform. And not to boast the, about the metal or use it for any kind of uh, uh, profit or anything, but it also can bring focus to areas we see a needed. One being active duty and veteran suicide prevention. Uh, working, again, with you, hats off to you and what you do, your amazing mission. We were able to put together recently the Active Duty Veteran Suicide Medal of Honor Recipient Forum, really bringing a focus that, hey, look, we're not coming in as an expert, but it's okay to reach out for help. Just to start the destigmatizing uh, de the, the conversation around it. And if the recipients can talk about it, talk about their struggles, talk about them needing to reach out for help, we hope that will open the avenue for other people that are hurting to do the same. We also do a big uh, food distribution. You know, uh, southern Colorado, you know, south of El Paso County is is underserved i I'll, I'll say it and and sometimes people look at pueblo and they go oh pueblo if you haven't been down to pueblo i had the same opinion i'm not a pueblo native uh but check it out it's, it's really grown and 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 your perception of pueblo might not be what you think so i encourage you to come down check out the riverwalk check out the center and and develop your opinion about what you see not what you hear but aside from that south of pueblo and throughout the uh, uh san luis valley the arkansas valley and, and south of pueblo there's not a lot of access to service so it's a very small thing we can do but we do an annual food distribution that provides uh, well over a thousand families 
uh, veteran families that are in need with two weeks worth of food, personal care item, cleaning supplies. We work with Feed the Children, uh, Care and Share, Coalition to Salute America's Heroes, and we're able to provide you know uniform packs for a family of four. If they have more than four, we'll provide more. If it's just a, a single guy, that family of four is going to last them a while. And the reason for that is, oh, that's once a year type of thing. We hope we can do more. But one of the most impactful things I heard are eye-opening things. I was talking to the VSO from Conejos County, the county that most of us probably haven't heard of. And it's down in the San Luis Valley. And when I said, hey, we'd like to invite Conejos County, let me know your need, how many veterans you have down there, that, how many families. Said, Man, we got like 140. I said, we got you. We'll, we'll help them out. He's like, this is amazing. You know, we don't have stuff like this down here. We don't have money like Los Animas County. You know, those of you that aren't from Colorado, Los Animas County is Trinidad, you know, on the New Mexico border. And nothing against my folks down there in Trinidad that may be listening, but it's not viewed as an affluent community. And when these rural communities, these farm communities that are so hit and stricken with poverty, that they're looking up saying, we don't have money like that place that someone in Colorado Springs or Denver would look at as a, a let's be honest, a poverty-stricken community. It reali- it's, a, it's an eye-opener that this, uh, this is important, and we hope to continue to grow those. It's a, it's a matter of, of see a need, fill a need, right? You know, recognizing that there are needs that need to be addressed, but also, as you said, the Medal of Honor and the Medal of Honor recipients have a unique platform to address some of the ongoing needs to be able to provide that support. Yeah, and you know what? We are not the Medal of Honor Society. We work hand-in-hand with them, so the Medal of Honor Society are the recipients, and we're we're very proud to have a, a close relationship with the Medal of Honor Society, to partner with them. But at the same time, I always remind folks we're not them and it's not all about the recipients so we could easily be something that we just oh we we talk about recipients we have recipients come in and a bunch of people of high brass or they come and hear the recipient talk that's neat and that's sometimes what happens in some of our our programs um but at the same time it's like what else you know what else can we do and to that fill a need i was talking about this a while back to a group and he said, well, what about homeless veterans and what about this is I don't know but to that one point we were talking a little while back is I don't have the answer to any of this but this is what we can do this is what we saw as an organization we can do and a bunch of little efforts are going to make the big impact right you know if this food and then someone else tries to do another food distribution and we get some focus on these southern colorado communities that need the help maybe more grantors from north of more affluent communities might support them. whatever the ripple effect may be i can't stop colorado springs or pueblo's uh, veteran homeless problem but i'm sure as heck not going to sit there and just look at this type of thing and not do anything about it and my and our organization's impact might not be huge every time but we definitely want to be a piece to the puzzle to, to help with it instead of sitting back and has become way too common in our society and yell at the TV and point that somebody else should do something about it. You know, that's become a very, oh, someone should really do something about this. Well, what are you doing besides pointing, pointing out what needs to be done? Uh, you know, go volunteer at the center or, or some other place. Or, you know, do your little part. And if everybody does a little part, then we're going to see a big impact. And that's what the recipients show. You know, they were just doing their job, right? They didn't so they weren't doing it for a medal. They weren't doing it for anything besides in that moment 
you know, we got to do something. And I think, and not donning a uniform, not running a hail of gunfire, hopefully not jumping on a grenade, but we can all do something to make this community, our communities, better for our veteran populations, especially those that are struggling. And sometimes it's a small thing that's maybe not going to tilt the needle. But if everybody's doing small things, I promise you that needle is going to tilt. And, and being able to have that persistence, right, you know, and continue at that, you know, uh, how, and you've mentioned a couple times how we've collaborated uh, recently, um, but you mentioned your co-founder, the Medal of Honor recipient, Drew Dix, um, he is a number of years ago, probably three or four years ago, says we have to do something about uh, military and veteran suicide. That's really how we first got connected was was Drew as a recipient seeing an issue and saying and, and doing that little thing and over the years trying to do a little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's again, the point. Now, Drew coming to me and saying, Matt, I think we can do something out of Pueblo. Most people be like, well, it's Pueblo. And then, like, that's that part of it doesn't matter. You know, on the flip side, Drew's saying, we can do something out of Pueblo, start working with Springs, and we're going to ultimately do something on a national scale and get get this in front of folks on a national scale. It took a couple years, and we're still going, we're still working towards that, and we're going to continue trying to bring these recipient forums together. But that's the point. Drew went on beyond his time. It's not like, oh, so stuck with Pueblo. Drew went on to have a very colorful life in the military and after the military. But for him to choose to start the center of Pueblo, to go back to the town that, that made him, that instilled these values and this, this commitment in him, in his view, is a tremendous, tremendous uh, push of confidence. I mean, that, I mean, that's how this gentleman looks at life. Special Forces, Drew's a unique person. Drew famously said when he was told he was to receive the Medal of Honor, he famously said, for which action? So I think some of the SF folks and, and uh, Special Operations folks that are out there listening, they, you know, Drew Dix is not an unknown name. Now, most of us, uh, who's, who's Drew Dix? But he kind of, he's a unique individual. But that's a good thing. The world needs people to say, like, I don't care where you're at. Do something. And then you throw your excuses aside. And then we'll say, oh, yeah. So, you know, to say we're going to start in Colorado because you know the sad statistics and you taught me and, and opened my eyes to, you know, Colorado, these kind of type of programs should start in Colorado. There's no reason for them not to because our, our, our rates are extremely high in homelessness, in active duty veteran suicide. So there's no reason to pass the buck and say, well, this needs to start in D.C., Obviously, I think most of us know we're waiting for D.C. to do something about it. We may not get the results. So working in Colorado Springs, Pueblo, Southern Colorado, moving up north, I think that's, that's really our, 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 where it needs to start. And that goes from Drew's directive of saying, hey, we ought to do something about this, bringing groups together, talking to folks from special forces, talking to leadership on a national level. But then, I mean, look at what he did he said okay now we're going to start this in Culver springs and pueblo that's amazing and the fact is that that needs to be a mentality or i believe that if that mentality was shared by more people or it can grow i don't even know shared it's not a shake my fist like you need to share this but let's all start thinking that way if we can really get that mindset like no it starts with me it starts with here and it starts with now. And is it going to be the biggest thing to ever be done? And are we going to get on, you know, every news outlet? Maybe not. 
but you have to focus locally to make the bigger impact. And um, I think that we're doing a wonderful job with that. And f- folks listening here, it's about passing that message forward. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, always great to be able to connect with you. If folks wanted to find out more about the work that you're doing, how can they find that out? Uh, Real simple. I mean, it it is uh, it is modern times. So of course, like us on Facebook, American uh, Value Center dot org is the uh, website. But the easiest way is Center for American Values, Facebook, Twitter, all of that stuff. You start following us on there, you're going to see when the next veteran suicide prevention. Uh, programs coming up when the next Medal of Honor recipient will be here in our community or up in Colorado Springs speaking, uh, when the next educational program that we're working with the uh, Medal of Honor Society on, which they are doing a program for teachers here in July uh, with their character and leadership development program here in Colorado Springs, bringing the group out here. So um, easiest way is, you know, that Facebook, Twitter, those social media platforms. um, That's really the most effective way right now. And then website, AmericanValueCenter.org, or email us at uh, info at AmericanValueCenter.org. But to me, easiest way, follow on those social medias. You're always going to be reminded on what's going on. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on the show today. Dwayne, it's my pleasure. I hope that you appreciated my conversation with Matt. For this week's Homefront Military Network Resource of the Week, I'd like to share a little bit about the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership. The mission of the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership is to unite the community in addressing suicide in the Pikes Peak region through education, intervention, and postvention. Suicide is one of the leading causes of death in the state of Colorado. This scary reality is something that we can work together to change. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership has been serving the Pikes Peak region in the name of suicide prevention since 1993. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership provides free suicide resources and suicide support services to our community in efforts to increase awareness, provide education, and connect individuals and organizations to needed resources. The Suicide Prevention Partnership offers multiple services and programs. They seek to increase awareness through resource tables, panel discussions, suicide prevention presentations, and more. They also offer education through employer suicide prevention training, mental health first aid, and support rooted in love, which is parent training. Lastly, the Suicide Prevention Partnership provides suicide support service, such as peer support groups, individual therapy, postvention support services, and more. The Susan Golding Counseling Program is a tribute to one of the founders of the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership. Susan Golden was instrumental in creating the partnership back in 1993, and the Susan Golden Counseling Program was created to honor her work. This program provides free individual counseling to individuals who are underinsured or have no insurance, people whose lives have been impacted by suicide, or anyone who is between providers and needs some short-term help. The partnership is an organization specifically created to reduce deaths by suicide in our community. Suicide prevention is most effectively done by reducing risk factors and increasing protective factors. The Susan Golding Counseling Program increases access to care, a known risk factor for suicide. To access free individual counseling, an initial intake appointment is made to allow Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership to get all the necessary information to provide effective services and pair the individual with a provider. Individual therapy for suicidal ideation and counseling for suicidal persons is provided at no charge by master's degree level interns from university programs across Colorado. These interns are supported and supervised by a licensed clinical social worker. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership maintains a wait list for this service. 
After the number of allotted sessions are completed, the program participant is placed back on the wait list until their name comes back to the top of the list. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership will refer to other community providers as appropriate and works with community providers to secure pro bono services on a case-by-case basis. The Pikes Peak region received a significant boost in the fight against suicide thanks to a couple that has dedicated themselves to the cause after one son took his life in 2003 and another died in combat seven months later. The board staff and volunteers of the Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention are honored to dedicate their suicide prevention peer support services in honor of 2nd Lieutenant Jeffrey Carl Graham, who was killed in action in Iraq in 2004, and Kevin Allen Graham, senior ROTC cadet, who died by suicide in 2003. Retired Major General Mark Graham and his wife Carol have dedicated their lives to serve in memory of their sons by speaking at the local, national, and international level to address the stigma of seeking support for psychological illness. The program is comprised of peer support specialists spanning from group support, one-on-one peer support, and opportunities to serve as a mentor to local teens. Increasing supportive connections has proven to reduce risk of death by suicide. Most recently, Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership has received funding to add local outreach to suicide survivor teams to provide immediate postvention support upon a loss by suicide as a component of this program. For more information on the Jeffrey and Kevin Graham Support Services Program or to seek help through the program, call 719-573-7447. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention offers an array of trainings and workshops to give organizations and individuals the tools to prevent suicide and suicide attempts. Question, Persuade, and Refer, or QPR, is a one-hour training that covers the basics of warning signs, how to talk about suicide, and how to refer someone to help. Applied Suicide Intervention Skills Training is the most widely taught intervention skills training in the world for individuals 16 and older. ASSIST is a two-day training workshop that teaches actual intervention skills. Participants learn how to have the suicide conversation in a compassionate and supportive way while still getting all the necessary information needed to manage risk and connect the person having thoughts of suicide to help. Trauma-Informed Suicide Prevention provides education around how trauma impacts brain development and functioning. Additionally, participants will gain insight into how to more effectively support someone with thoughts of suicide who may also be impacted by significant trauma. Perfectly Imperfect, Support Rooted and Loved, is a workshop designed for caregivers supporting a youth dealing with chronic thoughts of suicide or other mental health challenges. Caregivers will walk away feeling better equipped to support the young person and themselves as they share this difficult journey. Verbal Crisis Intervention teaches individuals verbal techniques to support and de-escalate someone in crisis. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention also hosts the Teen Board, another unique program. The mission of the Teen Board is to address adolescent suicide prevention through community and school outreach projects that encourage healthy coping mechanisms and promote awareness of teen suicide. This is the perfect place for a teen looking for youth group volunteer opportunities. Join Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention's Youth Volunteer Program by going to pikespeaksuicideprevention.org forward slash teen dash suicide dash advocacy dash board. Volunteering gives you an opportunity to make a difference to people's lives in your community. Whether you already have skills and experience or you want to develop them, your time and desire to help is enough to help prevent suicide and enrich our community. You can also volunteer at health fairs, and there are various opportunities to do so throughout the year. Get started volunteering at Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership by signing up at pikespeaksuicideprevention.org forward slash volunteer. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership needs your help. 
Suicide is now the leading cause of injury death in the nation. Suicide is preventable. It's the third leading cause of death for teens in our country, but continues to be the second leading cause of death among Colorado teens. El Paso County continues to have one of the highest numbers of deaths by suicide annually compared to other counties in Colorado. 100% of all of the money raised stays in Colorado Springs and pays for direct services. Pikes Peak Suicide Prevention Partnership does not receive state, county, or city funding. Support is through donations, small grants, and a massive volunteer effort. Find out more about them at pikespeaksuicideprevention.org. So thank you for taking the time to listen to the show. It'd be great to hear your feedback. I'd also like to answer any questions you have or know what you'd like to hear about. What topics about military and veteran mental health are you interested in? Send me an email at militarymind at fccsprings.com and there's a chance that we'll discuss it on an upcoming show. I'd also like to remind you that the information provided on this show is for informational purposes only. While I am a licensed mental health professional, I'm not your licensed mental health professional. If what we discuss in this episode brings up any concerns for you, it's highly recommended that you consult with a licensed mental health professional. Stay tuned for another great show next week. And until then, remember, you're not alone, ever. Family Care Center is a comprehensive outpatient behavioral health clinic providing critical mental health support to service members, veterans, family members, and our local community. Family Care Center focuses on the mental health and wellness of those who have served our country's military by providing best in-class evidence-based therapy, medication management, and transcranial magnetic stimulation. Family Care Center's clinical staff is dedicated to meeting every client's outpatient behavioral health care needs. This is Dr. Chuck Weber, inviting you to Learn more at fcsprings.com. Family Care Center, our family caring for your family. You've been listening to Inside the Military Mind, addressing mental health and wellness for service members, veterans, and their families. Sponsored by Family Care Center, Behavioral Health Services. Our family caring for your family. FCSprings.com. Tune in every Saturday at 11 a.m. for Inside the Military Mind on KPPF and listen to the companion podcast on Podbean.